Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We're at our fall pop-up podcast center in New York City, and we're excited to welcome Victoria Green, who's the CIO of G Squared Private Wealth, to the podcast. G Squared, Forbes' top advisor, creates customized boutique private wealth and an experience that provides safe, steady investing through smart planning. Vicki, we're excited to talk to you. I'm happy to be here. It's been quite a year for investors, my goodness. It's, I think, the year most investors remembered what their risk tolerance was. <laughs> it was. It was easy to forget when the money's easy. Everybody got a little more aggressive, and then suddenly this year kind of was an awakening about what risk meant. What's one of the most unique aspects of working with the ultra-high net worth, which is what you guys do? Yeah, so one of the things is you have to be prepared to meet their needs. So they they may have a family office, you may be working with other professionals, you may not be the loan advisor to some of these clients because with the ultra high net worth, especially depending on their family office infrastructure, you may have more, uh, more people that you work with. So you need to be a little bit flexible and you need to understand how best to communicate to them and what their needs are. This isn't a chug and plug, you're 70 years old, you're retiring, here's your 401k, let me back in and run a quick analysis and then spit out a spit out an asset allocation there's a lot more factors so the amount of time that goes into working on a plan with them and servicing them is a lot of a higher burden than the average you know retiree so you just have to be prepared that when you look at these clients you need to treat them very individually and and there's not going to be a, a, a chug and plug it's very very customized and a lot more time intensive and since it's much more time intensive why did you choose to focus your business on this market? It's time intensive. The segment is not very vast, and everybody's it's after growing. It. <laughs> and everybody's after them. Sure. Um, the reason is it's the same. It's it's the Walmart versus the Burberry or or the the Gucci or whatever kind of specialty luxury name brands. We're not going necessarily for volume. Our business grows on word of mouth and referrals because those networks talk to each other. So if they're looking for an advisor, a lot of times they're going to go to their rich buddy and say, hey, I had a liquidity event or I'm not happy with my guy or more recently my guy retired because there's obviously a lot of people aging out. The reason we focus on that is we, we do have kind of a niche expertise and we, we chose to focus our business not on volume but on quality of the client and so it, it works for us it doesn't work for everyone because the big thing is it's not scalable it's not something that we can easily say okay this is what we did for client a so obviously this is what works for client b it's so much more boutique but we find that because of our expertise and, and the referrals we get we're able to grow our business consistently but we have to do a very good job and so you can't drop the ball you can't have a service lapse you can't have a, an over site. Uh, so there's a little bit more pressure, but it also comes with with uh, very good returns for us. And then it is a growing niche market because for us, 
referrals is how this works. And so if you're going to go uh, and you're, you know, 10 million plus, you're not necessarily looking at Google. Some people do. We have to have the right website presence. We have to have the right, you know, tools out there to meet that baseline. But more is we speak ultra high net worth. We understand their language. We understand how they think. And, and we really put a lot of effort into the relationship side because at the end of the day, it's less about your tools and more about the person. It's a little bit harder for the ultra high net worth to trust people because they always wonder who's in their circle and why, right? So if you have a billion dollars, you really do start to wonder who your real friends are and, and really who's there and who's there to maybe try to take advantage of you. And that almost comes with this much higher bar of suspicion. So you have to be able to meet on a personal level and, and make them feel you understand them and that you're going to be there to work for them. Let's talk managing the business. How do you structure the workload and staff to be as efficient as possible? And it's it's a different kind of service than, than normal. We know a lot more about airplanes and FBOs and landing and all of that and tail number tracking than you would ever think possible. Oh so again, niche expertise. But uh, we have different client service associates that kind of work on different parts of the business. So we have one... Uh, who's fantastic at anything recurring. Like over the past five years and thousands of transactions, she's missed one. And that is invaluable to us. Uh, because she is that person, you have her look at a list of a thousand things and say, I need you to check one through a thousand. And the duty she'll put into number a thousand versus duty to number one is there. And that skill set's great. She's not necessarily great at the client service side, speaking with clients. But we have another associate that's really, really good on the phone, interacting, doesn't get flat, flattered, uh, flustered, <laughs> doesn't get flustered if a client says he needs $20 million tomorrow on a wire. You know, so you need the person with the right personality to interact with the clients. And then we have a couple associates coming in, and, and they're a little bit younger, and we're building out the next gen. And so we have people that are doing research and analysis. We have people on the service side. But even the service side is split to what they do well. And I think that's something, because our business is so niche, instead of trying to just continue to build out people that look exactly like each other so that they can replicate. It's almost more, what's your skill set? Okay, how does this help our business? Or what are we missing? Are we missing somebody that can sit on the phone for two hours with a client that just wants to talk? Or are we missing a workhorse that can do a bunch of data crunching? Or are we missing somebody that makes presentation looks really good? You know, as you go through, you start to learn, it's very rare to have somebody that's good at everything. And so we look a little bit more for specialty pieces. And that means our, our staffing's just a little bit different. You know, we're not looking for the cookie cutter finance MBA guy, you know, maybe that works for us, but we also need people that are good at other parts of the job that maybe are less visible in other businesses. Let's talk about building portfolios for the ultra high net worth. Everybody's different and everybody has a different portfolio, but is there a starting point that you use and then veer off from that depending on what they have? Yeah. So again, one of the things that most advisors don't realize is the ultra high net worth, you may not have it all, which is rare. A lot of times for a retiree, you have everything. So you may be managing a piece of the pie and your piece of the pie may be, okay, you need to say, what are you very good at? Is it, you know, we have a client, all we do is large value for him because that's the part of the portfolio. We have other clients that we have the bulk of their assets. So it's a diversified portfolio, but we have to have a high comfort with alts. We need to understand liquidity. You know, a lot of them use leverage. And so we have a non-purpose loan because <laughs> no idea how many times somebody's like, oh, I'm never, you know, getting into business again. And then a year later, oh, hey, well, this came across and I need money. And so you have to be prepared for liquidity. And then you have to understand what they're trying to do. Is it generational wealth? Is it 
I've made money, I might continue to make money, so this is my don't mess it up portfolio. So we're going, you know, most of them are not trying to take undue risk. They're trying to build an endowment type portfolio of I made this wealth, please don't mess it up. I'd like it to be here. And then the other thing is, is starting to work with that next gen, because a lot of them, depending on what generation of wealth you're coming into, especially if it's first generation, you need to be able to teach their kids um, the value of money. And sometimes because they just made the money, it, it's, it, they're, they're kind of hard on their kids. Well, I worked this hard. I didn't used to have anything, so you need to work this hard. But sometimes if it's the third or fourth generation after money's been made, if they still have it, which is rare, because usually, you know, those statistics, third <laughs> the generation are bust, sleeves, right? The shirt sleeves. <laughs> um, if, if they need help making sure their kids aren't spoiled. And so we have to work hard with them on trying to understand the value of a dollar on don't just get your portfolio information from Reddit or, you know, what does this mean? And then it's a sad conversation, but talking to their kids about don't let everybody have you pay for everything. Like, depending on what your name is and if you're known or not known, sometimes that's really hard on the kids because suddenly they're the person paying for all their friends' lunches at high school or in college. Or again, there becomes this feeling of who's their real friends and that circle around their kids. Parents tend to worry about that. So trying to give kids financial skill sets and it also kind of bleeds into the social of just be aware. Just be aware if somebody's asking you to pay for something, they may not actually be your friend. If every time you hang out they're asking you for something, you kind of maybe have to have a little bit of guard up of, of are these people really my friends or are they taking advantage of you because you just don't understand yet. What kind of tips do you have for multi-generational families? Are there family meetings that you conduct that are go over financials? Is it yes. share financials? Is it what do you guys do? It's usually you share limited information. And again, this is very it depends on how the money's made. Because some parents are like, I made this money, this is my money, this is not your money. So you're gonna have to do it your own. But we always tell the parents they need to set expectations for your kids. So if you want your kid to be responsible, then don't just pay for everything and don't just give them a credit card and then get angry at them at 25 when they don't understand the value of money and you think they're blowing it. So you have to have limits or expectations for your kids and you need to talk to them about it. And sometimes it's just a question of what is wealth? And everybody actually views wealth very differently. And so some it's the ability to take vacations and teaching parents how to talk to their kids about money, what age they need to start talking to them about it. But mostly it's partially training for the parents and then partially training for the kids because it's amazing how many parents want their kids to build skill sets, but then they don't actually give them any tools to build it. So they want you know little Sally and Johnny to, to learn how to budget, and then they send them off to college and they've never paid a bill in their life, they have no idea what anything costs, they just swipe a credit card, they're, they're, they have infinite money, infinite access to money, but then there becomes this conflict because the parent feels they're not responsible, but they haven't actually given them any help on becoming responsible. So we try to start this in high school because by the time you get to college, especially if the kid's going somewhere, you really want them, and we try to convince them to uh, put them on a budget. So have them pay the rent, you know, give them a stipend and then make them come back with their tail between the legs if they go over budget, which happens quite frequently. But, you know, if it's, you know, 10,000 a month or 5,000 a month, you know, have a credit card in their name, build credit, you know, but you need your, your kid to be involved in financials or else they are going to grow up completely unaware of the meaning of money and then they're going to get in trouble. You must get a lot of difficult questions. Politics, inflation, the economy, and of course, cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking to your clients about 
a few of those, and then let's save crypto till the end. <laughs> Uh, so one of the biggest things is politics doesn't matter to the markets. Now, we need to hear them out. We need to listen. But, you know, right now it is a very difficult time with some of the, our clients because regardless of what side you're on, if you're kind of the fervent part of that side, there, there are some things that's very difficult for reason. But you want to hear them out. You want to listen to them and then give them some historical context. And I'm not here to be a yes man, and that can be very difficult, you know, but you also have to redirect and talk about, okay, historically, this is what the markets think about this, that, you know, we actually like a divided government if the, if the markets do, that that means there's gridlock and, and the markets would be very happy if no big legislation ever got passed because then it gets to plan and there's no surprises. So one on politics is trying to kind of walk people off of ledges because occasionally we get on some some bad ledges that either the world's all ending. That's usually the ledge we're on, quite frankly. The world is definitely <laughs> going to be ending. I've, I've had that conversation multiple times in the last decade. So, so far it, it hasn't ended yet. Um, but, but politics is one that is, is very difficult because it is so passionate. So it's yeah. just talking about your personal beliefs and how it affects you as an individual. It's a little different how it affects the markets mm -hmm. and companies because companies are thinking 50 years down the road. So a tax change for four years, yes, that's great, but it's not really a material change necessarily. So we tend to get riled up, and it's just kind of my job to, to walk some of that back and, and walk back any kind of extreme positioning. Um, Obviously, inflation's a, a big deal, but most of the ultra-high net worth aren't panickers because they've been here before and they see opportunity. They see opportunity when things go wrong, and I would say that's one of the biggest differences between the average retiree or retail client is the ultra-high net worth are, are always out for a good deal. And they don't get as scared as the average person does because they also have the money. When you have $50 million, if you lose $20 million, the potential that's actually going to affect your ability to pay bills is very rare. Now, if you have $2 million and you lose $500,000, that may feel devastating to you and, and you actually change your behavior. But instead of necessarily changing behavior, they're more opportunistic. They see opportunity in the long run and they're thinking generational. And that's so different than, say, the average client who's thinking the next five or 10 years. So let's talk about crypto. Let's you get those crypto. questions. What do you tell them? Uh, I talk to them about blockchain. <laughs> 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 I will admit I was a crypto believer, and I still am in some regards. But this was like the poster child of a year that crypto should have worked, right? That yeah. we have inflation and central bank spending and all of these reasons of what crypto was meant for. It was Bitcoin's time to shine, and then it became correlated with the NASDAQ. And it's continued to be correlated with, with the stock market. And so I think there's a bit of a step back of what is crypto supposed to do if it is a digital goal, but it doesn't actually have value because it's not storing value currently. It's not offsetting inflation. It's not offsetting central bank spending. Um, I think the crypto world is going to change dramatically over the next decade, and we would like a foothold in it because the technology itself, regardless if it's becoming more digital currencies like the digital dollar or a digital euro, um, or if it's just the way that we transact money, I do think the future of finance is going to change with blockchain technology. I think there's, there's going to be some upheaval, and the question of who's going to be the winner, you know, if you think about the tech uh, bubble with all of the internet companies that came across. There were definitely some winners that survived. Your Amazons, your shining example. Who's going to be the winner of cryptocurrencies in the next decade? We all kind of bet, right? It's Bitcoin and Ethereum. But unfortunately, this year has just kind of been a rude awakening to what exactly 
is this investment supposed to do for me? Is it just a stock equity type investment? It's not correlated. Is it a currency? Is it digital gold? Is it a digital commodity? And I think it's having an identity crisis right now. That's a great answer. Um, you said your clients look and see opportunity in an environment like this. But what are the biggest challenges they're facing right now? Uh, changes to tax code, I would say probably scares everybody the most. Obviously, if they change step up to basis, we have a lot of clients with large land holdings, um, as well as typically have very complex trust and estate planning. And so massive changes to the estate law overhaul would be a big risk, especially if they start talking about taking down the estate tax limits. You know, those are tons of the, the things that keep them up at night. That obviously is something, especially if you spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars setting up your estate plan, and then suddenly it might become little bit moot and null and void. Um, I think that that certainly scares them probably the most um, because that that has a massive financial implication to them. Um, I think there's also this sense of what is the world going to look like in 50 years for my kids? Um, there, there is kind of this growing sense of unease about what is the world going to look like. And so I think they're kind of worried about directionality of you know, but everybody worries about the youth. We've been complaining about the next generation being lazy and stupid since the beginning of time. I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial. I've definitely heard all of that. So I think some of the the narrative right now about the, the next generation is too lazy to get anything done is, is a bit lazy in and of itself. But um, other than that, I think they... You know, the world is changing fast, and, and some of them, depending on where they are on the age spectrum, are having a little trouble keeping up with some of what the innovation is and, and where, where it's going, and that scares them. As technology innovates and moves so fast, some people get threatened by that. So some of it's more cultural, I would say. Yeah, inflation's bad, but, I mean, we've been through commodity booms and busts. We've been through bad inflation. We've been through government upheaval and, and turmoil, and so some of this has just been there, done that. Um, and, and some of it is people get excited when things start happening a little bit. And I don't mean that, I mean, it, it's kind of morbid, but as the world gets worse, people with money tend to get excited because this is how they, they change their money, transform it into to substantially more money. And so some of the, the market things we're concerned about, and yeah, there's, there's people that are on the, hey, this is going to be a, a Great Depression, and, and some of those conversations are happening, but most of them depending again on their industry and what they're doing, they're more seeing the opportunity to potentially buy things at a discount, whether it's land or commercial buildings or you know any type of real estate. You know, And the thing is, these people tend to buy things and then not let them go. And this is how you end up with portfolios of massive properties you know, globally. Being the CIO of something like this is a lot of pressure. What do you love about it? Every day is different. I would hate to be bored. I think that would be a horrible job if every day I came in and everything was exactly the same. So one, I like the challenge that every day is different. Two, you're always learning. And I know that's whatever, a silly answer, but it's true. Like there's something you can learn every day. The markets are vast and deep and you can have somebody, you know, that's, that's, that's a mile deep on this tiny little subset of the markets and you can talk to them for 20 minutes and it's fascinating. And, and so that ability to one, always be learning and two, always be evolving. You know, we, you know, I constantly think about that in our portfolios of, you know, 20 years ago, it was a share mutual funds. And now, you know, it's SMAs, but interval funds are the new thing. And so it's like, if you're not learning about what's coming to the market, not to say you want to chase into new product at all, but it, it is constantly evolving. 
And then the world can, keeps changing. So for me, it's fascinating. Um, and then you have so many smart people that look at the exact same set of data, exact same set of data, and have completely different outlooks on the world. <laughs> and so that, to me, is utterly fascinating. And, and so that's the way the world works. And so it's this uh, high stakes, which, which I, I like. I, I do tend to thrive under pressure. But I, I like a job that matters. I like that I can help people. You know, I, I don't ever want to just be a pure quant looking at an Excel spreadsheet. You know, I feel like that that would not not really keep me as interested because I work on a human aspect. I have people that I know well. We've been through births and deaths and divorces and family turmoil and huge wins and, and you know, selling a business they built from scratch. And, and you know, they, they just, they're, you know, absolutely solidified their family legacy over, you know, that is, is fa fantastic to see and walk people through that. But it's also sometimes the most rewarding part of my job are the hard days when you're having conversations about a death or a divorce or something didn't work out the way you thought it would. But you're there to help them when they really need it. Like you, you can give them good advice that is going to be life-changing advice, helping them either set something up or we'd help you with an estate plan and then an early death occurred before we anticipated it, but things were structured right. So everything was in place and, and we're here to walk you through the next steps and work with your advisor. Sometimes being that person for people is very, very fulfilling. I mean, it's hard. Um, but fulfilling at the same point. That's such a great answer. Thank you. What does the future hold for you guys? I'll get you out of here with that one. <laughs> uh, well, we're excited. I mean, we're continually growing our business. We're actually uh, bringing on an attorney in November to come work with us, and we're very excited about Jennifer uh, and being able to kind of offer that she speaks legalese because sometimes the trust and estates that we deal with uh, is a completely foreign language to a non-legal person. So I'm very happy to be exiting from the middle of some of those conversations. Um, and then we want to continue to evolve and stay relevant. Um, um, you know, we look around the market at acquisitions, um, and that's something we're certainly interested in. But, you know, we always talk with uh, my partner, George, about organic versus buying it. And, you know, we have diversified into a couple different lines of businesses. You know, our revenue, I call it stools of a chair. Uh, but that, for us, is something we want to continue to evolve in. And that's always, I think, the hardest question as a business owner of, am I going down a rabbit hole or is this really a viable potential revenue stream that's worth our time and effort? Because at the end of the day, time is most likely your valuable asset, most valuable asset by far. And so you don't want to chase, you know, chase down too many things, but at the same point, if you can evolve and add a new revenue source or expand how you're offering to clients or, or what you're doing for clients or potentially have an acquisition or two, it, it, you know, it's something that we all are in this, you know, it's, it's not a charity, it's a business. And so we, we do plan on continuing to grow and, and, you know, have a, you know, the billions, the next big milestone for us, and, and we'd be thrilled to hit it. Victoria, it's been quite a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. To learn more about G Squared, please visit gsquaredprivatewealth.com. We'd like to thank our friends at Jay Connolly for hosting the Podcast Center. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power of Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.